Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. Welcome back to our study of the resurrection of Jesus. Women were the first to find the tomb of Jesus empty. The first century view of women and the need to convince a naturally skeptical audience makes this a significant piece of evidence. Women were not the only witnesses of the empty tomb. Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, confirmed their testimony. Consequently, the empty tomb became an integral part of the apostles' early preaching of a resurrected Jesus. On our last program, we left off talking about the empty tomb. One of the most intriguing things about the empty tomb is the fact that women were the first witnesses that the tomb of Jesus was empty. This was an important part of the resurrection narrative because the testimony of women in the first century was looked upon with a a dubious eye. Men did not trust such testimony. We can see this at work in the New Testament itself. If we turn to Luke chapter 24 verses 10 and 11, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, come back to the apostles and they tell them that they found the tomb empty. And it's very interesting how the apostles react. Luke tells us, now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other women with them. They were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. Now, As far as we know, these women just found the tomb empty. Why would the words that they shared with the apostles seem to them as nonsense? Why were the apostles so dubious about this? Well, I think this has something to do with first century Jewish chauvinism. In the Talmud, it's written, Sooner let the words of the law be burnt than delivered to women. What an incredibly prejudiced thing to say. But this was the perception of women in that day and age. Josephus in his Antiquities goes goes on to say this. But let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex, nor let servants be admitted to give testimony on account of the ignobility of their soul, since it is probable that they may not speak truth either out of hope of gain or fear of punishment." Josephus says the testimony of women and the testimony of slaves should not be admitted into a court of law. And he speaks very disparagingly of women. He says, on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. This was the perception of the first century Jew concerning the testimony of women. And it was not limited just to Jewish society. In his book, The Twelve Caesars, Suetonius writes this, Whereas men and women had hitherto always sat together, Augustus confined women to the back rows, even at gladiatorial shows, the only ones exempt from this rules being the Vestal Virgins, for whom separate accommodation was provided facing the Praetor's Tribunal. No women were allowed to witness the athletic contests, Indeed, when the audience clamored at the games for a special boxing match to celebrate his appointment as chief priest, 
Augustus postponed this until early the next morning and issued a proclamation to the effect that it was the chief priest's desire that women should not attend the theater before 10 o'clock. Now, this is the sort of chauvinism that was alive and well in the time of Jesus, not just in Jewish society, but in the broader Greek and Roman world as well. Now, why is this so important? Well, as I left off on our last program, I observed that if you wanted to to fabricate, to make up a a resurrection legend, and, and you wanted to convince Jews and Gentiles that the tomb of Jesus was empty, why would you use women in all four of the major gospel accounts as the first and primary witnesses that the tomb of Jesus was empty on that first day of the week? This is an embarrassing part of the narrative, at least from a first century male perspective. Now, please understand, I'm, I'm not intending to speak disparagingly of women. I'm just trying to help us all understand how they were perceived in this society and how this particular aspect, this particular part of the testimony helps prove that the tomb was indeed found empty. As Habermas and Lacona observe in their book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, if the account of the empty tomb had been invented, it would most likely not have listed the women as primary witnesses since in that day a woman's testimony was not nearly as credible as a man's. Thus the empty tomb appears to be historically credible in light of the principle of embarrassment. That is so well said, and I believe to be so true. If you were just making this thing up, if you were just making up that Jesus had risen from the dead, why would a first century man use women as the primary witnesses of this event. But it wasn't just the women who found the tomb empty. Peter and John also found the tomb empty when these women came back to tell Peter and the other apostles what they had found. Mary Magdalene says to Peter and to uh, John, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Notice, she, she doesn't believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. She thinks that somebody has stolen his body out of the tomb and placed him elsewhere. Continuing on, this is in John chapter 20, verses 2 through 9. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And the other disciple here is John. So John outruns Peter. He comes to the tomb first. And he, this is John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now remember, John is writing this some 50 to 60 years after all these events have taken place. John says, Peter and I, we ran down to the tomb. Peter went into the tomb first. He found the claws. He found the linen wrappings all lying there. 
I went in after him. I saw the same thing and, and I believed. What did he believe? Well, he believed what the women had said earlier, that they had taken Jesus and laid him in another tomb. And John admits in that last sentence in verse number nine, that they didn't understand that Jesus was to be raised from the dead. All they knew at that moment was that the body was not there and that the tomb was empty. That's all they knew. But a few weeks later, after Jesus had appeared to them, Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verses 29 through 33 says this, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Now, there's a ton of stuff packed into these short verses, but I want to just pull out a few salient points. What fascinates me about Peter's presentation is that he almost challenges the people who are listening to him to go to the tomb and see for themselves. He talks about David, and he says that David's tomb is with us here to this day. You can almost imagine Peter's could maybe just pointing up the street. Well, go down and check out David's tomb. It's right down there. And it's still occupied. And then Peter goes on to talk about how David predicted that a body would not see decay. And, and Peter says he's not talking about his own body because his tomb is still with us. He must be talking about the Christ. That, that man who would come as a descendant of David, come from his own body. That's who David was talking about. And here's Peter standing in the middle of Jerusalem. The garden tomb is within easy walking distance. And he's almost challenging his audience to say, now go up there yourself and look at the tomb of Jesus. It's empty right now and I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus raised from the dead. That's what David was talking about in his prophecy. Now think about this. We're just a few weeks after these events have transpired. We're in the very city where Jesus was arrested and crucified. We're in the very city where he was buried. Peter is speaking to a, a group of people who were in all likelihood aware of what had taken place. If in fact... There was some sort of conspiracy if, in fact, something was amiss in Peter's testimony. This would be the absolutely worst place to try and convince people that Jesus had risen from the dead. Because all the evidence is right there for people to check out for themselves. Peter's just within a few miles of where Jesus was buried. And yet he's challenging the Jewish public Go see for yourself. His tomb is empty. God has raised him up. 
His flesh has not seen corruption, and the promise of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us. So when I think about the empty tomb, when I consider the fact that nearly 75% of those 1,400 scholarly works conclude that the tomb of Jesus was in fact empty, when I think about women being the primary witnesses, the first ones to find the tomb empty, when I think about Peter and John confirming that with their own eyes, not understanding at the time the prophecies concerning the resurrection of Jesus, just finding the tomb empty on that day. When I consider the fact that Peter was standing here in Jerusalem drawing a comparison between the tomb of David, which was still occupied, and the tomb of Jesus, which was empty, and almost challenging the people who were there and were aware of all these events and could have very easily checked it out for themselves, I find this to be very persuasive. So thinking back over the last few weeks, we have five major facts. Jesus died by crucifixion. The apostles were transformed. The skeptic James was converted. Paul the persecutor was converted. And the tomb of Jesus was found empty soon after his interment. All these facts, I believe, point in the direction of a bodily resurrection. And I believe that this is a case convincing enough to set aside any doubts we might have as Christians or as people who are generally skeptical of the Bible to begin with. The fact is that the evidence best fits a resurrection from the dead. And if indeed you have doubts about the New Testament, you've got to grapple with what it has to say on this particular point. Because if Jesus has in fact raised from the dead, he's coming back, and we do not want to be found unprepared on that final day. Thanks for listening to The Gospel Saves. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find him on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know and do His perfect will. Oh